Gone are the taboo days of pot. As cannabis becomes increasingly celebrated, understood, and legal, it's still a long way from eradicating the stigmas created from years of misinformation. We're investigating facts, cutting through fiction, exploring medical solutions, and sharing the stories of the people making it all possible on the Cultured Cannabis Podcast. How you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce, and this is the Cultured Cannabis Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Cannabis Insights Analyst at Brightfield Group and content creator, Madeline Scanlon. Madeline, thank you for being here. Hey, Tony. Nice to be here. It has been a pleasure getting uh, to know you, and you know, just your passion for cannabis is amazing. So this is going to be a great conversation. Yeah, thank you. Very excited. So originally from the Chicagoland area yep. and have seen where we've come from, you know, the illegality of pot to now it being readily available and Illinois really being somewhat of a pioneer in the way that we've approached it. So tell me about what you do at the Brightfield Group. Yeah, so when I was finishing up my master's degree, they were just about to legalize. It was like the bill had been signed. We were just waiting for Jan 1. So I started talking about how I love research, I love cannabis, and came across Brightfield Group. And I, when I started with them, I was I had my master's in PR, so I was doing content for them, mainly gated long-form reports. But after a while, my reports were getting pretty good, so they moved me on to the insights side. So now I'm a cannabis insights analyst, and I spend my time doing desk research on the cannabis industry internationally, as well as pulling basically pulling insights from our data portals. So we, Brightfield Group does a large suite of data around cannabis and CBD and wellness, but the numbers are one thing, but what's the story? So my job a lot of the time is to pull out the story from the data for our clients, for marketing, for, for branding, whatever it is. So when you say stories, I mean, is it understanding the strain and you know, the not only the nuances with each strain, but also kind of the backstory of where it came from? Was it, am I hearing that right? Or So we focus a lot more on consumer insights, market research, so like forecasting a market financially, and distribution trends. I, gotcha, I work gotcha. most closely with the distribution trends. And so that is a menu audit of all of the online dispensary menus. So we look at what's on shelf in the whole U.S., and then I'm able to see what flavors and edibles and what strains and pre-rolls versus vapes and then come up with an idea of what's going on in the market. It's really cool for finding out where there are trends already taken off, where there are opportunities, maybe something's taking off in one state and not another. So it's pretty cool to see that product level data that's not really based on SKUs, more based on actually tangibly the attributes. When you look at some of that data, do you see it and go, oh, that makes sense because of the region that it's in? Or, you know, yeah. do you start to kind of characterize or, or even just see the culture come through in the way that cannabis has consumed nationwide? Yeah, for sure. It's especially interesting when you see a market opening up, how many brands are able to get into the space will usually dictate the number of attributes then that can proliferate. So when it comes to strain, it's been interesting watch here, watching here in Illinois how, you know, some of the big producers are doing this certain strain and you can see it go up in the distribution. Of course, it's getting more prevalent, getting more share of shelf. But then in bigger markets like California, Colorado, when a strain can really come up, you know it must be something serious. It can't just be one brand moving the needle in a state like that. So Interesting. Yeah. So it really becomes about who the players are and, and how they're influencing the market. Is, is, is there more of an influence 
from that end of things, or is it really a demand created by consumers where they're saying, this is the strain I like more than another, and, I, and that's why it's selling? Yeah, so it's definitely a combination of both because if a brand is going to put out a bunch of one strain and it's not selling, it's going to fall off on shelf. And we're able to see that. We're able to see its rise in share of shelf and its fall. But if it's able to rise and continue on, you know that consumers liked it or distributors who or the, the retailers who decide what to stock, they had some value to it. And um, I, I feel like a lot of times it is probably more what's available at this point in many of the markets, in, not including the more mature markets of Oregon, Washington, California, but in a lot of the new markets, it is a matter of like what is there on shelf for people to even choose from. But hopefully all states can get to a state where it really is the consumers deciding what should and shouldn't stay on shelf. And, and one of the conversations we were having beforehand was just how uh, a strain isn't the only thing indicative of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, levels of any of the cannabinoids, right? And, and, and I'm saying that correct, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it shows you how uh, experienced I am with all the actual data and wisdom within um, cannabis. But that it's not just those things, that, it's, that it also is the amount of sunlight it receives, the soil, I mean, the environment, that they play all those factors into it. So is it that also because in some of those areas that are a little more developed or mature that um, we're just don't have a lot of strains that are growing here or, or they grow differently than they would, say, in California mountains, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, in Illinois specifically, we're limited to greenhouse growers pretty much. We can't mm -hmm. grow all year round. So why would somebody take take all the effort it is to have an outdoor grow that can only be used some months of the year. Right. So it's going to limit our market. But the technology is pretty crazy nowadays. And all the, the phenotypes and how the strains shake out all around the nation. It's all, I know strain is even a term that is a little controversial. Some people prefer the, the official term cultivar because now it has just oh, gotten so different. Like the blue dream here in Illinois is probably not going to be exactly the same as the, the blue dream down in San Diego or something. So right, like, right, right. You know, the, the cultivar, it's very specific, it's very regional. So now for you, if it's okay, you know, the one thing we share in common um, was the, the ADHD component mm -hmm. of our lives, right? And just how it, it comes with not only a diagnosis, but also the, the I guess, the intent to medicate and, and to medicate those problems. And part of it is that I think for me, was, you know, cannabis helped with that a lot and it just yeah. changed my life, right? Mm -hmm. And that how do you use that data then? that you accumulate to find something that works for you in, in a way that you can translate into a repeatable experience, maybe even for others, right? That it becomes a way to even diagnose what's out there as opposed to traditional medicine, which tries to create the solution, right? Yeah, so that's where our consumer insights are really cool because in cannabis and in CBD, they're not really allowed to make sorts of medical claims in the adult use recreational markets. On the medical side, of course, they have a little more leeway, but all cannabis use is medical at the end of the day. And right, one right. of the things our consumer insights look at is we ask people, what conditions do you have and what conditions are you using cannabis to treat? And that is awesome to see how there are just a wide array of conditions that a researcher could then go look and see, hey, we see that there's a lot of consumers using cannabis for ADHD. Let's do a study on it. Let's put some money behind this, especially once we can get some, some federal funding into cannabis research. So... Um, our, our insights are definitely more on the side of just kind of showing what is really happening in the market. Be because it is all consumers, it's not even just 
the people purchasing legal items. We, we are capturing a, a pool of truly who is consuming cannabis in the U.S. and how are they doing it and why and where. And that's just so beneficial for, for brands, but also for research. Absolutely. And one of the things, obviously, our name is Cultured Cannabis, but the, the part of it is to create this culture, not so much as to create a lifestyle around it, but the acceptance of it, where, mm-hmm. you know, if you take, it's, and, and you know, kind of talked about this too, but this alcohol, right? How it's crazy that you hear like, oh, mom, having a glass of wine, and, you know, that's somehow okay. And if you overdo it, I mean, that's, that's terrible. There's mm-hmm. terrible consequences to that, right? And, yeah. and in terms of even just being responsible. But with pot, it's, not that. And yet it's still stigmatized and demonized that, you know, how irresponsible someone to consume cannabis. What do you see changing as far as that acceptance through those trends that, you know, are you able to get that granular where you can see, hey, you know, grandmas are embracing this now. And, you know, yeah. grandmas in Nebraska, not just in, you know, California mm-hmm. that, that are doing that. And what do you see kind of like what what thoughts have you formed around those? So we definitely are able to see a wide swath of cannabis consumers. Actually, just today, 50% of the cannabis consumer pool in the U.S. is between the ages of 30 and 50. No way. Yeah. So it's like pretty standard. Like it, it's not just college students smoking, you know, only about, I think it's at like 26% under 30 and then 24% over 50. It's a, it's a pretty even swath when you think wow. about it. So it really is everyone. It's it's very fun to be able to filter and yeah, see like a baby boomer mother who has whose children are outside of the home. She's married. She uses cannabis to relax or specifically, you know, when relaxing with friends is one thing that is, is really high on the chart. A lot of people like to use cannabis with friends and you can see that person and it's for brands, it's important to know, it's important for them to realize it's not just this like stonerdom bro thing anymore at all. And um, looking at the trends, the biggest thing that I would say is, is super encouraging is the growth of or the, the more interest in cannabis drinks and alternative formats besides smoking. Because at the end of the day, some people are just not going to want to smoke. Yeah. Simple as that. And so the more options that are really controllable, really dosable especially on the low-dose trends for introducing people where it's not just all about that feeling of being stoned. One brand I really like is Can. They're doing the two milligram THC drinks that are pretty popular here in Illinois. And they're doing it in a way where it's sessionable, where you can have three or four of them through a night and probably be okay. They have a 10 milligram offering too for someone who wants some more. So cannabis drinks and capsules even getting into the low dose trends, like that's really what's gonna, I think, move the needle on normalization where it's not all just about big clouds of smoke, but it's about this feeling. Yeah, I mean, I've always said that the the thing that, um at least like about smoking and smoking yeah. <laughs> you know, as much as it the is right? it's like, I mean, everything <laughs> is just like you know it's it can hurt or whatever you know it's just uncomfortable yeah. and then you get to a certain point um despite wanting maybe even a little more right yeah but it's so interesting you bring up can because actually uh we're gonna have chastity crowder here um doing a podcast as well oh. she i don't know if you know her but she runs the marketing for can and she was well they, they do a great job they, so. yeah that's awesome i I'm love excited. analyzing them yeah <laughs> that's amazing and so you know as, as far as what you do it's it's easy to see it's clear i mean it's data right but you also seem like a very personable person and, mm-hmm. and like engaging you have this content creation aspect to what you do but it, both for uh, um um Brightfield. Brightfield, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, drew a, a blank there, but no. So for Brightfield that you're you know, creating 
content with them too. So it, it's so you as a content creator, really for, for you personally, but also professionally, right? Yeah. So when I started at Brightfield, I was the second hire on the marketing team. So we got a lot of freedom in the kind of content we were making and we landed on these gated long form reports. So we, we also had started a podcast called Inside the Insights that I run and that's a good time. But I realized, you know, there's only so much I could do with my company and the content I want to create. I just love content creation. I started a Instagram upon uh, Illinois legalization and joined the Weedstagram community. And, you know, I had about four months of a lot of energy from the world before the pandemic hit and it got a little harder to make content. But now as everything's opening up again, I've just decided, yeah, let's jump in and make some cannabis content that's for the everyday consumer that's not just somebody who's, you know, promoting a brand or somebody who has their own thing to promote or has, just wants to take giant gram dabs on the internet. Like someone who's really going to provide value to cannabis consumers because it's it's hard to navigate. Like if you look up on the internet, a a lot of the stuff is about how to, you know, stop smoking totally or, you know, there's nothing really for the moderate cannabis consumer out there as much as I'd like to see. So... That's the hole I see that I hope to try to fill with my personal content, which, you know, Brightfield data backs up. It's, it's interesting to see that people are taking an array of doses. All, it, even the heavy consumers are enjoying doses under five milligrams. So there, there, there's something there. The gram dabs people and I quit weed forever people are missing. Well, and, and to one of the points that you had made to me, which I think is just so interesting, we're talking about the comparison, like the protein and the receptors of protein and how <laughs> yeah. certain vitamins, you know, um, make it so that you can receive the protein. But if you don't have them, you know, it's pretty much a waste, right? Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with, with THC, that it's not just THC. There's all these other components that go into it that as you're finding, um, and, and again, I'll let you speak to that because you're the expert here, but that it, it really becomes about a bigger picture and looking at that bigger picture to discover really what the experience is that you might have, you know, 5%, maybe that's low, but THC and have the same experience of 30% THC if some of those elements aren't there that make it what it is. Yeah, there are so much we don't know about cannabinoids. And, you know, when you think about cannabis, the way we have it today, people aren't lying when they say, oh, this is way stronger than what I had in the 70s. They're 100% true because cannabis has been selectively bred to have high THC. If you were to go look at a original cannabis plant from 100, 200, 300 years ago, who knows, it would be a lot more equitable CBD, THC. So I feel like now there is starting to be this realization that there's more than just THC. You start, you're starting to see minor cannabinoids in products, in gummies, and even... Like marketed or advertised? Yeah, marketed and advertised. You have like uh, Kiva Caminos has a CBD, CBN gummy. Um, Wild has a CBN gummy. Uh, Up in Canada, there's a brand called Spinach that's doing CBG gummies. So there are a lot of a lot of experimentation happening, and part of that is I think because there is the CBD industry now running an- analogous to the THC dominant industry in the U.S. Although we still haven't got our FDA guidance, it's it's out there, you know, yeah. with Delta Eight, Delta Ten, all of right, that. That's right. that came for originally from first it was the CBD craze, CBD and tinctures, CBD gummies, and I think that although that not that it's necessarily died down a little bit, just because it's not in the news anymore doesn't mean it's still not prevalent right 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 for sure yeah no i mean there's so much to learn and and so how do you approach that with people who want to get into it and and just don't have like a a a clear way do you do you suggest kind of a a starting point for someone who's never used yeah just someone wants to like you know 
they're afraid of it, they're you know, yeah. whatever it is. CBD it, is the way to start for sure. Yeah. Because CBD is non-psychoactive. So CBD, CBG, most likely CBN are non-psychoactive. So you're able to have a wellness experience without having to worry about having a negative time mm-hmm. for whatever reason, feeling paranoia or just not wanting to feel high. You just, you just want some calm. Interesting. So from the CBD standpoint, you can actually experience that calmness. Yeah. I guess you'd have to almost be a little bit self-aware too, though, right? Yeah. So that's the thing. Like if you're someone who like doesn't feel anxiety ever, which what are you doing? Where are you? I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I want some but, of that. <laughs> but if you are like, yeah, you're not going to feel it. But if you're CBD works with your endocannabinoid system in a, in a different way than THC in where you're still getting the same benefits from THC. You're just not triggering that psychoactive element. Yeah. Wow. No, that's because I, I guess I just haven't found that yet with CBD yeah. or like it, it can be hard for especially when you use THC having it be something that is like literally an experience it, it lets you know something's happening it's like this efficacy is very obvious but in CBD it's, it's hard to know sometimes is it helping me but at the end of the day the endocannabinoid system its whole purpose is to keep us in homeostasis to keep us in a state of balance so you might not know what's off and not in balance in your body but taking cbd could could help restore that balance and all this stuff still needs to be proven out still needs we still need a lot of science to back this all of these ideas but one thing that i find super interesting is that cbd is is being shown to help with a lot of conditions that previously were nobody knew why this was happening things like MS, things like epilepsy. Like there's a whole system of our body, this endocannabinoid system that has yet to be thoroughly researched. And I think once they research it, they'll be able to solve some of these unsolvable mysteries with cannabinoids. Because you know our body makes cannabinoids. Yeah, It's like, it's part of us. And it, it could help us in a lot of ways. You just need to know how. We're kind of just flying blind right now. Well, I mean, you know, there's so many opinions and whatever but at the end of the day for me it's all i see and it's unfortunate is this greed that mm-hmm. you know and it's 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 always a few that ruin it for many right but that want to control and you're starting to see this even and not to get off topic but like with psychedelics and how the the research that yeah. is even being allowed like colorado with uh, psilocybin but yet now they're talking about again monetizing that and yeah. turning it into a product something that is natural and just grows and abundantly right mm-hmm. so there's there is so much to do how do you see that really changing through some of the trends that you've seen where you know that, that it's not sustainable to make it inaccessible to people right it's, it's mm-hmm. it has to come to a point where it's really expensive right now um so many taxes do you think that that's something that has to change as, as far as making it accessible to people and that research and that relief i think it's going to be a really tricky game of chess it's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of moves it's going to be a lot in the background too you know there's this whole social equity component to cannabis right now where the taxes are there to do something you know to help communities communities. that were yeah yeah, were impacted by the war on drugs but at the same time is it socially equitable to to those people and everyone else if you have to pay 30 percent on something right and i know right now one of the bills that schumer has been uh working on it includes a a ramp up to a 25 percent federal tax and if you're in illinois already paying 30% 30% on a concentrate, adding another 25% is really going to be difficult. So yeah. there's so many there. And, but that at the end of the day, that, that money is to go towards helping minority businesses 
be, be in cannabis. So right. there's so many fine lines and you know decisions that are going to have to be made. From my opinion, people should learn how to home grow. I learned how to home grow very easily in Chicagoland, and it's been the most affordable thing I've ever done. I calculated it in my first year. I would have paid about ten grand for the comparable amount of wow. cannabis that I was able to grow myself fully legally with my medical card in Illinois. I think that anybody should. You shouldn't need to be able to get a medical card too. Um, it, it's it's just going to be a lot of a lot of decisions, and we'll just have to, we'll just have to see. Yeah. Well. Tricky waters, muddy waters, but yeah. definitely I think it's it's something that's shown tremendous value to a lot of people. So I don't think it'd be sustainable too long that way, but who knows? I mean, worse things have happened. <laughs> yeah. And I think it also like in Illinois, especially as we get more licenses, I, I don't think the elevated prices here are going to continue. It, has, it hasn't been the norm. Right. I love looking at Canada because Canada made a concerted effort to say we are going to compete with our illicit market, and you can get grams in Canada that are about three fifty Canadian at, uh, at the, the very low end, but that's extremely affordable. Right. And some of these companies are taking losses. Like you hear about the big Canadian LPs like bleeding out money. Well, that was why they were offering cannabis at a price point that was very accessible to Canadian consumers, and they also provided you know, difference of opinions on this, but they provided a pretty good system for people who were operating illicitly to come online in some regard. So without having that consciousness to what people are willing to pay, what what is even equitable for someone to pay for these things? Yeah, it'll, it'll be difficult to see prices go down. Yeah. Well, on a happier note, <laughs> <laughs> you know, events are something that have always been, especially in Chicago, food, and wine, drink, you know, consumption, right? And and especially from an activity standpoint, if you think about it, winter times, you want to go out and do something, what is it? Drinks and food, yeah, right? Like that's mm-hmm, pretty much sure. it. How do you see those trends changing with so many of these pop-up, you know, infused dinners and just social gathering focused around cannabis? You know, it, 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 it almost seems like it has its, its start, but the way wine is just a part of things, right? How do you see events playing into the cannabis uh, community or lifestyle? Yeah, I think events are going to be very important for normalization and also for people not feeling ostracized. Yeah, That's one thing of like, you know, the, you think about the legacy cannabis industry. A lot of people were closeted stoners. Like yep. they, yep. for their job, for their children, they could not be out there Parents. smoking <laughs> cannabis. Yeah, and I consider, my, I'm a third generation cannabis user. So it's like, I'm really the first one here that's been able to say, like, yes, I smoke weed and I'm a good, fine adult. And I'm very lucky to be able to say those things in this age of this yep. newer age of normalization. But, you know, <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought. No, 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 sorry. no that's OK. Um, events. So events. how oh, do yeah, you see yeah. like and so from that, how do you see people talking about it and getting excited about it and, and, and throwing events around or yeah. just including it? Right. It doesn't have to be like the focal point, but to where it's normal. I think one of the things that's kind of annoying right now is where you can smoke cannabis is so limited. <laughs> it's oh, it's almost impossible. Yeah. So it, like in Michigan, they have a specific license that is a marijuana event organizer spelled with the H kind of weird marijuana. Though. <laughs> but no um, way. because of that, people are able, they're going to have a much better, much more above the board event scene than we will have here in Illinois. But that's not to say we won't have the scene here in Illinois, because the way our law is, if you're a dispensary or a smoke shop, you can have a consumption lounge. If your township, wh- whoever controls the zoning just has to allow you to do it. So that's why you have the Mwendolin lounge. Um, I think it's a rise dispensary. You have the Cresco opening the Sunnyside 
thing in Wrigleyville. I, I think it, they're considering it a lounge, but in the old John Barleycorn, that's going to be a consumption lounge. Um, the old John Barleycorn is huge. I know. So that'll be pretty cool. I'm not exactly sure how they're like zoning that because I know the city of Chicago has said they, they don't necessarily want to allow smoke shops to do uh, consumption lounges because of how it's more concentrated on the north side than the south side. So it's like inherently inequitable. So they have a lot to figure out there. But the suburbs, they can do anything they want. I know out in Peoria, there is a smoke lounge opening. I went to their grand opening or concept opening over the summer and it was a awesome consumption event in their parking lot. All the big <laughs> brands were out there giving out goodies. People were smoking under the tent. There was a little drag show. It was it was a good time and I, I drove all the way down to Peoria to enjoy it. So and there was a lot of people there. So people definitely have a taste for on premise events. People don't want to be smoking in their closets anymore, you know? They want to come out and do stuff. Just can the laws allow it. Interesting. Wow. And it's it's perfectly legal to give for those companies to give out samples too, right? So that's no. Oh, it's not. They can only give out like hats and lighters and, ah, and rolling that. papers. Oh, that kind of sucks. Rolling trays and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, that's that's another issue too. So it's Ugh. like, you know, I was at a cannabis event where you just couldn't smoke. You could talk about all you wanted. <laughs> you, we have a panel. We have. Some, this is post legalization. Yeah, it was a couple of days ago. Oh you know? god. So it's like I go to a lot of you know it, it, cannabis networking events, things like that. It's like you can't just start. Smoking up in this nice event venue. It's wow. not allowed yet. Simple yeah. as that. Yep. The, the venue hasn't been able to be zoned for it because there's no means for them to. So uh. you see a lot of the private event space scene here. I mean, I'm sure it's happening everywhere, but here in Chicago, you see people who have their own spaces. You can sell a ticketed event. And yeah, there's people selling their unregulated cannabis there. Right, right. But that's very, you know, below the board, as you'd say. It's not legal, but pe- people are finding a way. And I think that really shows that if it were to be legal, imagine how much more you would have. Well, and it's also like the, the what you were saying, even the demographic, how the 30 to 50 year olds are half of the people smoking. And it's mm-hmm. also because, you know, they probably grew up with pot and it being a thing yeah. and, and not being able to access it. So all of a sudden you can and you're like, well, I remember when I was a teenager, now I can kind of relive those things legally, right? Exactly. Or, or, or yeah, whatever it is that, that people kind of go through their minds. But to hear all these things is, is both encouraging and it's informative and you know, I'm just so grateful that one, we got to meet and that continue this relationship, especially in the cannabis space, because I think you have so much to offer um, and just even your personality in it. I think it's so approachable. So thank you. Know, you. Oh, I appreciate that. Of course. Of course. Now I'm excited to see what, you know, the journey ahead looks like for you. But I'm sure that uh, we'll be hearing about you and seeing you uh, in many things. Yeah. There'll be s- people always say like, oh, like we're in like the second inning of cannabis. Yeah. We really are. Like there's a yeah. lot of the game left to play. So I'm very grateful to be young in the city of Chicago in cannabis. And yeah, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. It's so exciting. Well, if you're out there listening and you want to connect with Madeline, you can do so by filling out the form below. She'll get that directly in her inbox. But Madeline, thank you for coming in, sharing your story and just being you. Yeah, thank you so much, Tony.